would you go spend a hundred dollars on a, one piece of content, like one blog content? And until that conversation, I probably would be like, hell no. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. On today's episode, we are welcoming Mike O'Donnell, the founder of Cave Tools, to the show. Mike and I dig into his story growing Cave Tools into a seven-figure business. What is great about this episode is Mike really opens up to describe his process on creating effective SOPs using the 80-20 method for marketing and a new thought on content. Towards the end of the podcast, Mike shares his thoughts on the difference between five-figure, six-figure, and seven-figure mentalities. He also shares his thoughts on what it would take for him to reach eight figures in his business. And without further ado, let's welcome Mike O'Donnell to the show. How you doing, Mike? Doing great, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on here. Thanks for coming on the show. So Mike is the founder of Cave Tools, and we're going to dig into his story and how he built Cave Tools here in a minute. But we want to hear, Mike, how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. Um, (laughs) A lot of books and a lot of mentors. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, going back uh, in college, I did uh, an unpaid internship for about a year, year and a half um, for a serial entrepreneur. And that really kind of opened my eyes to what was possible. I guess, you know, I kind of always like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur and stuff like that. But seeing a guy like that and having uh, his name was Justin, he kind of became one of my mentors uh, to see the life that he lived and what was possible and that, you know, I didn't necessarily need to go into that nine to five life. Um, That was a big thing. And, you know, my dad was always a big influence on me and and very supportive. So, yeah, so started out and I guess tried a couple companies in in college that, you know, failed miserably because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) And I eventually started doing some SEO kind of work on the side while after I graduated and got a job. And then uh, from there, I I kind of got my first big whale type of a client, I guess. And we, we ended up partnering. So I moved up to Canada and, and uh, we partnered and built an agency up there. Uh, so marketing is, is, I guess, my my core background, right? Coming out of SEO, advertising and uh, like the web dev world. Yeah, I was up in up in Canada for a while, and at a young age, I was asked to uh, partner, you know, and become a partner, like a, a full-on partner in the company. Which, at 22 years old, was just kind of like I hit the success gold right there, you know. And and it was a it was a very large company. It was offered 40 percent, and I uh, ended up declining it and moved back home. Uh, the reason I declined it was even though you know all the money. And everything like that seemed, you know, just amazing. And it was, you know, everything I could have asked for. Uh, at that point, I had only been more of a solo entrepreneur for maybe six months before I did that deal and moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that would have been a job and that would have kind of locked me down. And uh, I hadn't really done enough on my own or failed enough or anything like that. So I, I came back and I tried to start up my agency and it took quite a long time, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty rough for a long time. And, you know, and, and leaving that deal in the back of my head was always, you know, this, this big thing. Like, I can't believe I, I wasted this amazing opportunity I had up in Canada. Um, but at that point, you know, I, I had to learn so much stuff. And I think just that, that really rough patch helped me out a lot. And, 
you know, from there, I guess in, in 2013 is when I started cave tools on the side. And then I really started taking cave tools seriously, I guess like summer of 2014. Let's talk about a couple people that you mentioned, your mentor and your father. How did you meet your mentor and establish a partnership with him? Uh, well, it wasn't a partnership per se. Uh, he was a Penn State alumni and he posted an internship, uh, unpaid internship uh, on you know the job boards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess most of my friends in my, my marketing major, right, we're all going for the Procter & Gamble and the big names and stuff like that for mm-hmm. – you know, 15 bucks an hour and you go get coffee all day. And, uh, I worked that summer, uh, like 40 hours a week unpaid just to learn from Justin. And, uh, we were, I was helping him launch an information product, uh, called intern profits. So we were teaching business owners how to find and hire interns to, uh, you know, help, you know, help support their labor and their companies and stuff like that. And, uh, so I got, you know, I got exposed to all sorts of stuff in the info marketing world, the SEO world. Um, Justin's very, he was very connected. So, you know, I got to sit on, sit in on a lot of webinars and stuff like that. You know, I, you know, I did that internship and, and actually, like I said, when I graduated college, I, you know, I did get a job and, uh, Justin was the one that would, would call me all the time and say, you know, you check in every couple months and just say, Hey, what are you doing? And I'd be like, well, I, you know, I, I wake up, I work all day, I come home, I watch TV, I go to sleep and <laughs> my sucks. And uh, he, he kind of, it was almost like I didn't want to let him down almost. Right. And, uh, he, uh, he had found out about some internet marketing conference thing out in Texas. Uh, it wasn't traffic conversions. It was, it was something else, but anyways, he, he encouraged me to go there and, uh, that, at that conference is actually where I met the guy that I partnered with up in Canada. And, uh, at that point I was still working my job, but within a week of coming home from that conference, I went out, I got my first SEO client and I, you know, was just totally pumped up. And, uh, Ben in Montreal, which is, you know, he was the partner. He, he saw that growth and he, uh, you know, he wanted to bring me up because he had landed a, a fortune 100 company up in Canada and he needed help. Uh, so that's kind of, he saw me as a, as a go getter brought me up. And then from there I helped, you know, build a ton of stuff up there. And then that's, you know, eventually led into the, uh, the partnership offering there. Do you still stay in contact with him today? Yeah, actually, yeah. uh, we were in uh, Barcelona together last year, I think in what, July, mm-hmm. uh, I went from Barcelona and I flew to France to meet up with, uh, Justin and his wife had had a, uh, a house there for, for a month in France. They, uh, they have their kids and they did a, like a school exchange where the French kids went to Canada where Justin lives and they went to school there and Justin and his family moved to France for a month and went to school there. So I, uh, yeah, immediately after Barcelona went up to, to France to go hang out with him. And you mentioned your father early in your story, Mike. Was yeah. he an entrepreneur also? He he always had an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, he he's done very well for himself in business. He's the uh, the president now of the company that he works for. Uh, but you know he, he married my mom. He had kids. There's there's always responsibility. And uh, he was he was the first person in his family to ever go to college. So for him, you know, it was, it was too much of a risk. But he always wanted that and he he thinks like an entrepreneur he is by heart even though he doesn't own his own company um so i think he kind of 
you know, guided us and he taught us how to think, which I think is important. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, especially in the beginning, uh, of being an entrepreneur and, and everything like that, you know, having that support of my family was just, uh, huge, you know, and, you know, there's, there's times when no money was coming in and didn't know what to do. And, you know, and, and that encouragement kind of keeps you going. Yeah, that makes sense. Mike, let's talk about Cave Tools, man. You started it, did you say three years ago? May 2013. So we're, we're coming up on uh, four years. And uh, May 28th, I think, was, was sale number one. So Cave Tools is a online store that sells barbecue grills and barbecue grill appliances. Yeah, primarily uh, tools and accessories. Yeah. Stuff like that. Why did you decide to get into the barbecue business? Uh, well, like I said, I, I moved back and I was, I was doing the marketing agency thing again, uh, you know, on my own at this point. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going out and I'm selling clients and I'm telling them I'm this great marketing guy. And, you know, I kind of said to myself, well, if I'm, if I'm telling everybody I can grow their businesses, can I even sell my own stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, so cave tools, I mean, I, the, the name cave tools, really, I was, it was an experiment. It was the middle of the summer. Uh, I had made like three grand sell a website and I said, let me spend three grand and just see if I can import anything from China and sell it. Um, I was actually going to do cell phone batteries and Justin told me I was an idiot. Um, (laughs) so I was in the middle of summer and I I just like totally bought generic grill brushes, Uh, nothing special about them, sold through and, uh, yeah, it was kind of like a learning thing there and cave tools was really going to be like a man brand anything manly like in the bar and the grill that kind of stuff uh-huh. and uh, so that went well and then uh, made enough money and I, I launched one more product and it was you know spatulas and stuff like that so i was like all right now it's a growing brand and uh the winter came and uh nobody grills in the winter so demand dropped and you know cave tools essentially died um so i went back to the marketing thing you know and it was kind of like a successful experiment you know made a little bit of money learned some stuff but kind of let the the company go for that winter. And then it wasn't, like I said, until the next year, the next summer when demand kind of came back. Um, I said, you know what, like, let's, you know, I was kind of getting sick, more and more sick of, of working with clients. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah. And then it, yeah, it started launching more products and, uh, you know, not just barbecue, but also cooking to kind of level out that seasonality, uh, part of the, part of the company. How's your growth as an entrepreneur in the past four years been? I mean, on on the business side, the business has grown you know larger than than my wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think you know I think the growth has really come for me out out of my network and being able to surround myself with like minded peers um, because I'm sure you at, at home, your friends from college or your friends from high school, um, very few of them are going to be the the you know, the, the entrepreneur type or the, the type of person you're going to meet in the DC or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think my biggest, my biggest, uh, inflection point was in August of 2014. I was, uh, I applied and got accepted into, uh, what's called sovereign Academy or, or blacksmith camp, which is a, uh, guy, Simon Black puts it on. He brings 50 entrepreneurs from all over the world out to Lithuania for, for a, like a four-day mastermind, and uh, you know, that just exposed me to so many entrepreneurs and so many ideas. And I, from there, that was just, you know, looking back, that was that was just a giant inflection point. Um, so 
kind of ran with that and that network and I've gone back there a couple couple more years and uh, I'm also in a, a network called Maverick Next and and then the DC the DC right so having having all those people and, and those like-minded people that are into you know personal development and into sharing books and actually talking about books and stuff like that instead of you know the Oscars or you know, just random TV shit. <laughs> I, I watch TV, I do, but like, you know, having having those other kinds of conversations, those intelligent conversations and people that really want to better themselves, uh, you know, it all kind of falls into place. And, and you realize that, you know, the more you read and the more you want to get better, uh, you're, you're going to fail tons of times along the way. But as long as you don't give up and you keep, you know, following that process of becoming a better person and and learning as much as you can, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have tons of downspouts, but you're going to keep moving up and to the right, you know? Mike, what do you feel your strongest traits are as an entrepreneur? I do have a, I have a great background in marketing. Um, I think one of the biggest competitive advantages with uh, Cave Tools would be our operations. Mm-hmm. So we compete primarily on Amazon. Um and, you know, there's a lot of other competition and stuff like that. But a lot of those guys, they have, you know, five, six, seven products. Uh, we're, we're at 30 product lines now. And we don't have a giant team. Um, I'm, I'm, I've become very, very good at, at uh, Microsoft Excel. And I, I build all my own uh, operations dashboards. We have a supply chain management dashboard now to, to track everything. Uh, financial models like... I never had these skills. I've just kind of like, as, as we have gone along, I've been able to say, you know, what would, uh, you know, Weber's like the giant company in, in the barbecue space that everybody knows. But, you know, if my company was a $10 million company or a $100 million company, how would they handle this, right? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to kind of be able to handle this situation? So I've been able to build a lot of systems and processes into our company, Um so I, I think that's yeah I think that's one of my one of my core differentiators and you know, we we have SOPs written and video SOPs for almost every position every everything in the company and there's there's hundreds of SOPs and we actually follow them and I <laughs> you know have my team follow them um, which you know you can you can the the SOP is only as good as if if people actually do it right right um, so. You got a whole training resource center in the back end, and uh, everybody's got their own section to go to for everything they need to do to to perform their job to the best. Tell us about training your team to follow those SOPs. What's the process that they go through? Uh, well, we have, we have an onboarding process. So, uh, hiring hiring was always one of the, the most difficult things for me. Um, you know, really, really finding those A players. So. Again, read a couple books, uh, Top Grading and Who, the A Method for Hiring. So I kind of read those books and I, I took uh, detailed notes in the books. And then I actually formalized a, a human resources onboarding process. And so everybody comes in, they go through the same onboarding process. We get same like-minded on our, our values. And like I make them literally sign a values commitment, uh, which <laughs> nice. is my commitment to them and theirs to me mm-hmm. and the rest of the team. Um, you know, especially when you're dealing with people from different cultures and all over the world and stuff like that. And then, you know, then, then, then you've got the SOP part, right. And, and there's, 
obviously different jobs require different complexities of, of certain things, right? Uh, you know, somebody that's more of a, uh, for lack of a better word, a labor worker, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, the SOPs may not be as detailed versus uh, somebody that's a thinker that can, I could say, yo, go, let's go build a, a sales funnel for this and we're going to launch this product next week. So follow through the entire launch process and go set that up. That's that's going to be detailed, right? Um, so I kind of, I build that and then uh, I build a checklist on my own. So when they do that type of work, you know, I come back, I, I make sure I go through the checklist just to make sure that they, they've done it. And uh, we, we chat through Slack and it's, you know, it's something like if they ask me a question, I'll be like, oh, well, actually, that's in the training resource center. That's right here. Go go check that out. Um, so I kind of purposely reinforce that they need to go find that in the SOP. And if, if the SOP is not clear, then then that's a question for me. But constantly forcing them to refer back to that, uh, I think, is important. Yeah. Are you writing all the SOPs, Mike? Uh, I have been for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when, you, when you grow, especially – you know, when it, when you go from you know a small company to a medium company, as you continue to grow, a lot of times the entrepreneur is doing the job, and then they have to replace themselves, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of these jobs, um, I actually just recently hired a job that is one of the first ones in a while that I haven't personally done, uh, but I hired a a really smart and much more expensive person to handle the job. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll typically lay the the framework or the you know the it's, it's not like everything they do is scripted, right? right. Um, I'm actually a very hands-off manager. I don't, I don't even enjoy management at all. Um, it, so it's, it's hands-off, but it, I kind of build the framework from which that they can operate in. Um, and then after, you know, after they're on board, they're fully into their role, and, and I kind of have them say, look, look, you're, this is your responsibility. This is your role. Um, you know, I've, I've had some employees, I've, I've had them build their own SOPs. Um, and that way, having that kind of that playbook for the business is important because, you know, sometimes people move on to other jobs or you need to fire them or move them into a different role. Uh And that's, that's like the groundwork. So you don't lose all of that, uh, all of that thought and, and everything that went into building that. What are some things about operations, Mike, that you think a lot of entrepreneurs or businesses miss? Process process. I mean, you, you know, it's kind of like cliche, I feel like at this point, but you know, if you ever heard McDonald's doesn't sell the best burger, but they they have a system that churns it out uh-huh. and within one minute, it's, it's, it's consistent, the same thing every time. Right. Um, so first it's even something that that's got to change every time, like reviewing all the, the ad campaigns and ad groups and stuff like that. Um, they're going to make different decisions every time on, you know, increasing or decreasing PPC bids, that kind of stuff. But having a, a checklist and saying, this is, we're going to, we're going to do this, this, uh, ad group updating process, what, what, whatever you want to call it once a week, that's going to happen on Tuesdays. Okay. And these are the things that you want to look for. And this is a, a model that you can follow to help guide you on those decisions. Right. Because there's, there's, there's probably only four or five main decisions that they need to make depending on what the numbers look like. So you can kind of think those out, those use cases beforehand and come up with um, a consistent way to to make those improvements. Let's jump into marketing. What's your main strategy for marketing with Cave Tools right now? I would say in the beginning, in the beginning with Cave Tools, I did what probably everybody does. You try a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then I read uh, 80-20 Marketing by Perry Marshall, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, screw it, let's cut everything. And uh, at that point, YouTube was our best kind of the channel we had the most traction on. So I cut everything and I said, we're only going to focus on YouTube right now. And I hired somebody and we focused solely on YouTube, built up to like 300 videos, you know, 20, 30,000 views a month, that kind of stuff. And I said, okay, what's our next best thing? Okay. At that point, I think it was like Pinterest or something like that. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, we're only going to use YouTube and Pinterest as our marketing channels, right? Now, now, I mean, we have our hands in a little bit of everything, but it was a very, you know, a very focused approach. Let's focus on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I would say our uh, our backend email automation is uh, that drives the core of all of our non Amazon sales. Um, so, I mean, if you come in through our any of our email entry points, you're going to get one to two emails maybe uh, a week for the next nine months. Mm-hmm. And everything is tracked that you, depending on the product you have, you'll, you'll never see emails about that product if you already own it. Um, if you've seen something before, you'll, you'll never see it again. It's, it's very detailed on that end, uh, which on a side note, I put that building that off for forever because I thought it was going to be this monster thing. And uh, it actually only took two days, two work days to build. I just said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try this now. And it took two days to build the whole thing. Wow. So that's huge. And, and what we're actually the guy I just recently hired, we're, we're going to be focusing heavy on a content marketing this year. Um, we spent a lot of money on advertising last year, uh, for email lead gen and, and that kind of stuff. And I was talking with my buddy, uh, Josh Dunlop and we're, we're talking about, it. it's like, you know, would you go spend a hundred dollars on a, one piece of content, like one blog content? And until that conversation, I probably would be like, hell no. Um, but would I go spend a hundred dollars to get, you know, maybe 200 opt-ins, right? For 50 cents an opt-in. Well, if we can actually drive traffic to that, like really high quality hundred dollar post, you know, it may take three months to, to get 200 opt-ins from that or something like that. But then that's, that's cash positive forever, right? That continues to get traction. So right. I've kind of gotten more of a renewed, uh, focus on the, you could call it SEO. I mean, SEO changes so much, right? So what I'm calling it is let's like build real content, uh, super high value stuff and make us more an authority, right? We want to be the place that people come to get barbecue information. If they're trying to smoke a pork butt or something like that, <laughs> let, let's give them the, the detailed tutorial with pictures and video on the cave tool site try to get them into that email backend sequence because eventually we're going to stay top of mind awareness and they're going to buy at some point, you know, one way or another, they're going to buy, you know, that instead of go for that direct sale, really, really build the relationship. So I'm curious, Mike, after you had that conversation with Josh, did you start to implement that strategy immediately? I started to, um, and then, I. I got into a patent lawsuit. I had uh, some quality issues, and Christmas happened. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I got totally sidelined. Um, so that is why uh, that conversation took place in November. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, I guess I, I really started putting my focus back on that maybe uh, in uh, early February, mm-hmm. and um, you know I studied up a lot to kind of figure out what people were doing and. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're we're in the process. We're gonna start building a, a team of writers, and uh, yeah, like doing it doing it big. Um, which I I also reached out to a lot of people that uh, you know own very successful businesses, and the majority of people told me, uh, whatever you do, don't do what you're about to do with trying to do this in house. It's a nightmare, and it's going to be a lot harder than you think. And they all suggested I hire a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually I would follow their advice, but I, you know, in this situation, I decided to in-house it because, um, you know, I see, I see the future growth of our company needing, needing kind of like a, a content director type of person that can oversee our brand image. Hmm. And it's going to be difficult, I think, to really get this, this program or this piece of the business up to par with what I think it with what I envision it. But I think that that person, uh, that be, that becomes this manager, this content director position is going to have other, uh, other roles in the company. And I, I think it'll pay off, but who knows? I mean, two months from now, I might pull all my hair out and say, well, I really wish I listened to all these people that are much smarter. <laughs> Before you had that conversation about content, Mike, how often were you creating content and who was handling it? So the content side, uh, quite a lot of lessons learned there. So the the person uh, that I had uh, originally had do, doing all of our YouTube, we kind of started running out. It, we didn't have as many easy opportunities on YouTube. We had you know just tons of videos, tons of stuff going on there. So I was like, oh, you know, you can go you know write blog posts, and we'll set your KPI as five blog posts per week. Right. And I was busy doing all sorts of other stuff in the company. We launched we launched 20 new products last year alone um, and I was traveling the entire year. So it was a it was a busy year and I did not oversee this uh, person uh, nearly at all. Really, I just kind of would check and be like, oh, new blogs are going up. We're hitting the five per week. Good. Uh, in October, November came to find out that she had started plagiarizing almost a hundred percent, uh, from like March on of the year. So for like six or seven months, she was plagiarizing everything. And, uh, so we had to delete all that blog content, fire the employee. It was obviously a, a moral and ethical issue there. Um, so yeah, so I had, I, you know, blogging and, and really building like an authority wasn't wasn't something that I'd seen a ton of value in. I didn't have a high value employee in, in charge of that. Um, and, and to be, to be completely honest with you, the content was crap, you know, it was like crap content. Uh-huh. Um, so now, you know, now my focus is, you know, if we're, if we're going to be this high end company and, and professional and everything like that, let's, let's go big and, and do it right. Um, and get the proper checks and balances and the proper management in place and, and overall strategy. And, uh, you know, start off slow and then, and then scale it up. Mike, I want to talk about YouTube and when you decided to go all in with YouTube as your marketing avenue, how long ago was that? That was probably, uh, early on in 2015. Uh, How long did you spend on YouTube until you started to focus on another marketing strategy? I I don't recall the exact time frame, but I, the way we did it, it was wait until that, that process and that machine was, was well oiled and kind mm-hmm. of running its own. Uh, 
like I said, I'm actually a very hands-off manager. I kind of, I create a framework for my employees to work in and then I let them do their own thing. And then we have meetings once a week. It's a okay. once a week meeting. They can chat me in Slack if they have questions. Um, but, uh, and, and to go on with that, I guess, uh, most of the employees we have on a KPI performance mm-hmm. plan, so key performance indicators. So for instance, uh, Iris, when she was doing the, the YouTube, uh, I think, let's just say it was five videos a week, right? Okay. Um, so she would have her KPI, she had multiple KPIs, but that, that would be her KPI. And on Mondays I go in and I, I grade the KPIs. Did they do five? Were they, did they meet the criteria, the quality criteria that we we're looking for, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so to make things easy, say she had four KPIs and there's five weeks in a month or four weeks in a month, right? So that's 16 grades. Right. So performance plan, and we do this on a lot of the people in the company is if you hit a hundred percent of your KPIs in a month, you get a fifteen percent bonus based on the salary that was paid to you that month. Mm-hmm. You can miss ten uh, percent, or yeah, I think it's ten percent of your KPIs, and you're cool. You know, you're good to go. It's you know, that's just kind of that standard error or deviation there. And then if you miss more than ten percent in a month, you get a warning. Right, three warnings within a twelve-month period, you could potentially be fired. So if you get a warning, we have a talk. We try to get you back on track. And basically what that does is that puts them, one, it motivates them more, right, to do things and because now there's a monetary incentive. And uh, two, it, it puts the onus on them to take full responsibility because I don't give a shit if she works 10 hours a week or 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. It's an objective measurement that says, did you do your job or not? So they're fully now responsible for their job. And then my job becomes you know, clearing away obstacles and doing the best I can to make sure that they reach their bonuses every single month. So my goal is to have every employee get all the bonuses every single month, because if that happens, the company runs incredibly efficiently. Mm. So it kind of flips that whole role there. So once that, once that really started to get traction, I would say that would be when we, we started moving on to some of the other channels. Are you glad that you implemented that strategy, Mike, to where you focused on YouTube and then you went to another uh, marketing channel than another marketing channel? Yeah, because I think yeah, I, I think there's you can only do so much, mm-hmm. you know. And I think if a lot of people do a half-assed job on on multiple things, yeah, instead of just focusing on on one thing really well, um, so that yeah, that was. I think that was a, a really good decision there. And, and now, like I said, we are in multiple multiple channels. We're all over on social media and email marketing and advertising, all that stuff. But the company's grown now to support that. And we have employees in charge of those specific channels to that's their role. You know, I think a lot of people, especially in the beginning, they hire one VA and they're like, okay, you're in charge of social media. Uh, you've got YouTube, uh, write emails, and mm-hmm. do Facebook and Instagram. And it's like, it, you need the right skill set for the right jobs. Um, and even more than that, you need the right instruction. So I can't just build a strategy and instruction for 10 things at once, You know, do things systematically in order, and then scale them up. Makes sense. Mike, I, w- I want to ask you one more thing. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between what you would say the five-figure uh, five mentality is, the six-figure mentality, and the seven-figure mentality? Yeah. 
Um, Five-figure mentality, I think at that point, your strategy is the quickest way to money. Um, and it needs to be because you can't, you can't like, if, if Cape tools was five figures and I'm trying to work on all this, like longer term branding kind of stuff, we're not going to get enough money quick enough to be able to support the company. So you need to get there and really focus, you know, when, when, when we were in the five figure range, I was starting to build a Shopify website and do all this other stuff. When what I really should have done was just focus primarily 100% on Amazon because that's the quickest way to money, get the money, and then then start to go into those other things. So I, I probably did that backwards. Six figures. Um, six figures is more about, I guess, like delegation and, and, and uh, you know, starting to build the team around you. you. You can't do everything, so you have to start giving up control. And uh, you know, seven figures, I think, is more... Like it's less tactical. It's obviously much more strategic. But um, you know, to grow from six figures to seven figures is is more about breaking down yourself, um, the way you do things, and, and you need to grow as a person. I think to you know, like for me to go from seven figures right now to eight figures, uh, to do that, you know, my company's going to have to look completely different when it gets to that eight figure mark. And I'm going to have to operate the company at a way, way different level. I don't, I don't know what that looks like yet, but it's, it's really, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's like a, there's not a one size fits all, but I think the higher and higher you go on that ladder, the more it becomes about leadership and uh, some of those soft skills, actually. Incredible tips by Michael Donald. Mike, I want to give you a big thanks for coming on the show, buddy. We really appreciated you giving us your time and your wisdom and all of your infinite knowledge that you shared with us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Chris. If the listeners want to reach out to you, where's the best place they could find you at? Cavetools.com. That's our our website. Uh, On Facebook, um, I'm Michael Medium Rare O'Donnell, probably the only medium rare. So. All right, buddy. Thanks again for coming on the show. Listeners, thanks for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Bye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world